welcome back to another episode of hot to trot we had such a good time with our racing for love couple that they ended up getting their own episode so welcome our prescott downs couple patrick morale and cassandra judd Well, Patrick Cass, thanks for joining us on Hot to Trot and our Racing for Love segment. We're so excited to have you guys today. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Yeah. So Prescott Downs isn't racing right now, and that's you guys' home track. So what have you guys been up to? You want to start? Or you want me to start? <laughs> it's been, uh, yeah, it's been kind of, it's been a tough, tough little bit of a couple months here since Prescott finished with my mom and her not doing well whatsoever she's 84 now and the true testament i think for a relationship is how your your significant other deals with your parents you know i'm a lot older than cass unfortunately she's the good thing is she's a lot younger than me so um i think that's a plus but you know my i lost my dad a couple years ago and cass was you know cass was around for that and then you know, now with my mom not doing well, we were running back and forth to the hospital from Presque Isle. Just a lot of things going on there. And, you know, without Cass right now, I, I don't know what I, my mom would probably be in a nursing home. And that's the thing that we want to uh, keep from happening is putting her there. But just like everything that Cass does for me, it's just, you know, it does for my mom. And it's just like I said, it's a true testament how how strong a relationship really is when it comes down to difficult situations like like we're going through right now yeah so. that's hard i know a lot of people can probably relate to that as parents grow older and in the situation that you're in you know making sure that you you do right by the parents and having to lean on your spouse as to help be a caretaker well i mean you know basically Cass, you know she could have been trained in the turfway this winter and you know, I mean, it's it's tough there. We all know that. We had a tough meet there last year when Cass was training, and it's just not easy whatsoever. And the fact of the matter is that, you know, she gave up everything to come here to help me take care of my mom and clean this house out. And, you know, my parents had, what, almost 60 years of collecting things together. It's... Man, we threw out a lot of stuff. And we're not done yet. And we're not even closed. <laughs> Parents always collect a lot, but it's nice to have a support system. You know, you definitely need that during the times. It, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's been it's been a tough couple months. So. so, how long have you and Cass been together? Six years. We actually we met at a horse sale at Timonium down at the Mid Atlantic Sale, and she was working for a friend of mine at his consignment, and we we didn't start dating right away or anything like that. It wasn't until later on in January, that was in October. Mm -hmm. And we just, I just loved her sense of humor. And she kind of has this dark, little bit of a dark sense of humor. And if you get to know her, it's very, very funny. Like it's you need the to race know track. Everyone has so it's, <laughs> it's true. It's a little more elevated or down. I don't know. How you look I mean, I, I just, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're very similar, but we're very much different also, if that makes sense. Um, it's not like we grew up differently. I have different interests outside of this. I mean, my my other real passion is cooking. I love to cook, which sounds kind of crazy, but I'm an Italian kid from Pittsburgh. I mean, we have a kitchen in the basement. We have a kitchen upstairs. It's just what we do. And I learned from my dad. I watched my dad a lot, you know, and he was just 
phenomenal. My grandmother was incredible. They still spoke Italian in the house when I was growing up. It was really, really neat to have that heritage behind me. And then my mom, on my mom's side, they're like white bread, fifth boat after the Mayflower. You know, so it's completely different dichotomy between the two families, for sure. Cass, what's the favorite thing that he cooks? Ooh, um, probably shrimp and linguine. Yeah. All, any of his pasta dishes are pretty I'm, spot on for me, especially I'm, this time of year when you just want some comfort food. You're not worried about trying to eat light because you're working for 15 hours a day. I'm very, very, most of the stuff I prepare is very much more geared toward Italian food mm -hmm. because it's what I love. It's what I grew up with. My dad always cooked. My mom didn't really cook that much. She could, but she just didn't really, she didn't really like it either. So, so I just kind of took after my dad and you know, and it was just, it was always fun. Even like when we would go hunting and everything, we'd be, have a fire and we'd be cooking. That was the best part of going on was eating, you know? So that's what we would do. We'd go to camp and you know, dad would cook and we had more fun doing that and playing cards than we did hunting. So it was it was a cool childhood, but I kind of took part of that. And, you know, now you go through everything, like with my parents and cleaning all this out. There's a lot of memories. And someday, you know, the people that haven't gone through it, they'll understand someday. And the people who have gone through it, they're like, yeah, I remember what that's like. Because, you, you know, I'm 56 now. Man, I, we're finding things from, like, my high school football career and like when I was a little kid and the stupid clothes that my mom would put on me. I mean, it was, you know, you see all that, you see all those old pictures and it's just, it becomes, and I'm very sentimental. Like Cass is not as sentimental as me. I'm incredibly sentimental. And, you know, I'm just, I don't know, I guess I'm just, I don't think person. that's entirely true. It's not that I'm not sentimental. It's that I've pretty much been transient having worked on the racetrack since I was 18, 19 years old. So I've, and I'm still a little bit mentally too. I have to be able to pack all of my belongings in 20 minutes because I got to get on the road mm -hmm. sort of thing. So for me, it's, it's hard to like understand the importance of tangible items. I like nice things, but yeah, it, it's been, it's been a little bit of an adjustment for me to like asking Patrick, Hey, are we throwing this away? I'm like, Oh no, that yeah. was my Holy communion money. Like, yeah. which he still has too. Um, not true. I spent it on a horse. <laughs> Trust, me. Trust me. Believe me. I, I used to go to Waterford park with my friends, especially my one friend, Gino, him and I, as soon as we were done with baseball practice or as soon as we were done with football practice, whatever it was, I'm like, Hey, it's Monday. Usually we couldn't go in the fall, but in the spring we could usually go. I'm like, Hey, if we rushed down to, to Waterford, it was Mountaineer, used to be called Waterford back in the day, before you girls were probably born. But I'm like, Gino, come on, man. We can we can hit the last race. We can hit the Super in the last race. We would fly down there. It was like 35 minutes away. And we'd go as fast as we could to catch that last race. And that's how much that's how much we were devoted to racing back then. And then I mean, I remember days we didn't make any money. We went to the track and we had to bum quarters and dollars off of people to get enough gasoline to get back home. You know, gas then was like 99 cents a gallon. So it didn't really matter. You know, you get a couple bucks, we could make it home. So did you start out as like a gambler? Is that how you got into it? I just, I remember when I was five, I think it was five. It was a year secretary at one. And I know it's kind of cliche, but I always watched the Derby with my maternal grandfather, Papa. And he always took me around to his friends that had horses and I got to ride on them. And they were just like, you know, farm horses or whatever. 
And I turned around and I said, Pap, Pap, I said, I'm going to own one of these one day. I want one. He laughed. He giggled. He was a cool dude. And I just always had that fire and that passion. And I think I knew then that's what I wanted to do, even when I was five years old. Like, I really don't think that the thoroughbred industry, like, you don't wake up. I don't really think that people wake up one morning and say, hey, I want to be. I want to be in the industry. And maybe some people do. I didn't. I always thought that the game picked you. And that's how I feel. I feel like the game picked me. And I just want to, and you got to remember where I came from. I came from Beaver County, Rochester, Pennsylvania. We had steel mills and we had football. And that's really all we had. You know, that's always the, you know, the Steelers were really starting to become very good in the seventies. And, you know, we were all rabid fans of the Steelers and, you know, playing football, basically, you know, from the time I was what eight or nine years old until I got out of out of school, I mean, it just it was what I loved to do. And then, but there was always these horses that that came in, and nobody really did that around here. I mean, it was very rare you found somebody who loved racing. They might go down a little bit, but that was it. You know, and it was it was a tough road to hoe to get to Kentucky. It took me till I was thirty nine to get there, but I did, and that's where I started. Wow. Yeah. Cass, how did you get into racing? Were you, did you grow up in it? Yes and no, from a distance early on. So my uncle, my great uncle, so my mother's uncle was a quarter horse trainer and she was a jockey. Um, she had given that all up well before she had me. But after my parents divorced when I was five years old, I moved to Tennessee with my dad. And there I sort of kind of got the itch with horses. Similar to Patrick, where my friend had like backyard nags, we'd jump the fence when her parents weren't looking and go running off through the fields. Um, it wasn't until I was about 10 years old that my great uncle and his wife adopted me uh, from my dad. He was just having some hard times caring for me as a single parent in a new city. Um, so they adopted me and brought me to Richmond, Kentucky, where he was still training, but had moved more away from the racetrack into legging up horses and starting young horses to send down to Louisiana and out to the Midwest circuits. We also had a string of like show horses, quarter horses, uh, gated horses, pretty much anything you could imagine. I was getting thrown on at 10 years old most of the time to start their breaking because I wanted to be a cowboy when I grew up. <laughs> I had no idea what I was talking about, but I was really good at bucking out horses because that's what I wanted to be good at. And I was, um, made a career out of catch riding at horse shows in Kentucky and Tennessee until I was about 17 years old, uh, all the while galloping. Um, there was a brief period where I thought that I was going to be a quarter horse jockey, but, um, a fun little accident in the starting gate made me cut the idea of that career really short. Um, that was actually about 14 months of PT and OT. Um, it's a pretty, pretty serious injury, but I knew that I wasn't going to give it up entirely. Right around the time I finished my rehab, my uncle passed away, um, which kind of just shut the door on everything quarter horse related to me. But I thought, you know, I'm going to go off to college. I'm going to, you know, take a breather from this for a second. And I hated it. <laughs> I went to North Carolina, um, started studying just like a general undergrad degree, ended up finding out that I had a pretty good knack for math 
and the university had invited me to stay there if, and have my tuition paid for if I would continue on a mathematics degree path. And I said, no, I, I want to go home. I miss my horses. So <laughs> I went back to Kentucky, moved to Lexington, finished my schooling at UK, and got started at Windstar working in the therapy barn doing the Aquatred, the hyperbaric oxygen, obviously like working on the training division end of things. And uh, from there, it just kind of took off. I went and broke horses, galloped horses for Kenny McPeak for a while. Then I decided that the racetrack was for me and I wanted to pursue it. And it sort of spiraled out of control from there, everywhere from New York to Florida to Minnesota to New York to I was making a circuit for a few years until I finally came back to Kentucky. Wow. That's quite a journey. And yeah. that's really cool that you guys have kind of both started down in Kentucky and, and brought yourself up here. Yeah. I mean, you have to think about this. You know, Kentucky is the epicenter of the thoroughbred world. And when I got a chance to go down there, I mean, I, I had a very corporate life. I mean, incredibly corporate. Um, I did closings for a living. And it was like watching paint dry. I wasn't really fond of realtors at all. I had to deal with them every day and they didn't know half of what they really should. And it was very frustrating to me. A lot of other factors. And I just I just woke up one day and the alarm's going off, guys. And I'm not joking, this is a true story. The alarm's going off and I'm hitting the snooze. And I keep hitting the snooze. After about the sixth time hitting the snooze, I pulled my pistol out of the out of the drawer. I was gonna shoot the alarm. I was so bad. I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go to work that day. It was, it just, it, it just, it had, I had no desire to put on that suit and tie and go do another closing. And I got lucky and I, and I did it. And that was probably six months before I even got offered this job. And I had bred a horse at Vinery and I met the general manager there. And his name was Tom Luke. Turned out to later on become the chairman of the Board of Breeders' Cup. And I became his assistant, and I worked in the stallion division. I ran the stallion division down there for seasons and shares down there. And we sold a lot of seasons. We had a lot of really great sires, like More Than Ready and Pure Prize and Purge back then. And we had some nice horses there that I got to be around. And it was just like, it was a new world when I got down there. He offered me the job because he had been in the insurance business. And I think he mistakenly thought I was in, like, the insurance insurance business. I was in title insurance, which is... It's still insurance, but it's completely different. Obviously, it's real estate. And I think he kind of misunderstood that. So he called me down for an interview. And I remember it's the only time in my life that I called my former boss and I told him I'm sick. And I wasn't. I was in Lexington. I got to stay at the farm. I figured, well, you know what? I'm not going to get this job anyway. I'm a kid from, from Pittsburgh. Like, who the hell is going to hire me over these Lexingtonians? You know? And son of a gun, I got the job. And I didn't know what to do because I had, that's all I had done my whole life. My dad was in that business too. That's all I had done. And I went down there. I literally knew him. I didn't know another soul, literally. Second night I was there, I was so homesick, I was going to leave and go home. And the farm manager brought over a six-pack of beer, and he talked me out of leaving. And that was that. That's how it all got started. But, I mean, listen, it was, it was hard giving up everything. I probably, if I would have stayed where I was at, another three or four years, I'd been completely retired when I had to worry about a thing. But here I am, chasing animals or running around in circles. And you know what? It makes me happy. 
And I know it makes Cass happy. And, you know, I mean, for her to give up everything to come here to help me, it's just, it's amazing. It's not, it just wasn't easy for her to do that. And, you know, you always worry about where all the money's going to come from. And we all know in our business, man, you can burn it quick. You know, you have one bad year, you're in trouble. Like, you know, a lot of people don't realize it. And, and, it, and it's just, you know, every, the thing that frustrates me the most, especially being a breeder also, because I still breed some, um, people think that it's just we're all rich. We're not. We work hard. I mean, I've never seen anybody work like Cass or maybe Mike Rogers and Trish Rogers and Ronnie Potts up at Prescott. Those guys work. They work so hard. They're there at 430 in the morning. They're busting their butt all day. Cass is going back to feed at night. And I'm like, I hate having her do that sometimes because it's like, well, can't we just have like, let me make dinner and like maybe we can go to the lake or something, you know, take the boat out, do something fun. But these animals always come first. And it's 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 a hard it's a hard go, you know, and. It just it just drives me crazy when people think we're just all rich. I wish we were. I wish we were rich because it'd be a hell of a lot more fun, guys. Yeah, yeah. The highs are high and the lows are very low. Those, but they, they paychecks are. aren't so steady hard. in horse racing, so it's rough and people don't realize that. Well, you know, for me, it's 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 such a wonderful job and a wonderful gig that I have at Prescott, and I work for a couple of really good guys, and you know. Alan Plever, our racing secretary, he's like, he's, he's kind of stepped in as my dad when I lost my dad. He's just, he's originally from Toronto. He's from Allegheny County. So, you know, he, he's a super good guy. He lives near Detroit now, you know, and he just, he's been instrumental in getting me, you know, where I'm at with everything. And Matt Ennis has been really, really good to me at Presque Isle and our new general manager, Gary, um, has been phenomenal also. Um, but Working up there has just been, it's just so much fun, guys. Like, every day I get up and it's just like, oh, okay. Hey, I don't have to do a settlement sheet. I don't have to go do a closing. I get to handicap the entire card. And this is all I get to do. And I get to watch every single race, every single year. And because this will be what? I started in the 19th. started in 19. Yeah, so I'm getting ready to start 24 here pretty soon. I can't wait. I'm just, like, this year I was with Kate and Bradar. Last year was with Larry Colmus. It was a lot of fun. I don't know who I'm going to get this year, but big days are really Masters days. You guys were, weren't you guys? You guys were yeah. up there for Masters there, yeah. It was great. We, I, I have to say, we all agreed. Your fans up there were so nice, and like they yeah. wanted to talk to us, and like it was probably the most fun we had with fans all summer. Was. Yeah. Was the we really do? We have a very, very good, solid, like rabid group of fans up there. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, I think we're just a hidden gem up there. And you know, some of my friends in Kentucky make fun of me. They're like, "Why do you want to be there? Why don't you want to be at the mothership? I call it the mothership, Churchill. You know, why do you not want to be at these bigger rate checks? Why don't you want to go on FanDuel? I'm like, well, first of all, you know, FanDuel is pretty tough, but you know, for me, that's home. It's it's been home since 2019, and you guys got to remember, I used to run a lot of horses up there too, you know, before I worked for the racetrack. So that was, you know, it's nice because I could always come home and see my parents. They were an hour and what 45 minutes away. I can just you know buzz down there, cut the grass for them, do whatever I needed to do for them, and I got to see them, you know. So that made it easier too, you know. When you're in Kentucky, we're six hours away. I mean, and it's that's a long ride, you know. We're so used, Cass and I are so used to doing it. It's like, 
it's not a big deal anymore. But you know, it's still you still got to take a whole day to get there. You know, Erie's just it's a and it's a fun place in the summer. I mean, you know, we go on the boat, we get to go to Presque Isle to, to the actual peninsula. We hang out. We can take the dogs that we want. We can take our friends and just hang out there all day on the boat. And it's just it's beautiful. just a beautiful. Cass, have you, how long have you been racing up there? I started working up there for Mike Rogers in 2020. I worked for him for one season and then I opened up with three horses of my own in 2021. So yeah, not very long. Wow. Yeah, but she, do you got to remember too, Cass, I mean, Cass used to gallop for Bill Mott. She used to gallop for Kenny McPeak. You know, she was assistant to Burn Elrow and they had what? 70, 80 head of 84 horses. 84 head of horses. 84, <laughs> you imagine that, guys? 84 head of horses. I'd pull my hair out. That's exhausting. And he would go fishing. And he would go fishing. So yeah. it would be me and the team kind of getting it done while he was gone in Canada. Wow. Canada. How many horses do you have now? Um, Currently, including my personal two, that's it. I've... Uh, so my plan was at the end of this season. So let me just back up really quick. This, this might be a long story. No, I like no. it. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't talk the way you can. Um, I do it for a living. What do you want? So pretty much this year was one of exponential growth for me. As far as my business was concerned, I was getting in a lot of new horses with some new clients and the learning curve of business was swift. Um, I think everybody survived mostly unscathed. And by the end of the meet, I had decided, you know, Turfway is going to be really difficult, this meet, because the money's improving so much. The quality of horses is just shot through the roof. I reached out to all of my clients and said, basically, hey, let's save our stock for next year. Most of them are PA bred anyway. Like, we don't want to miss our PA bred conditions. Like, if we did run and win down at Turfway. The money's nice, but it's better to have the condition at a venue where you're going to be more competitive. So it was sort of my idea that I was going to take some time off for myself this winter, uh, just kind of recharge and see how much better I could come back this coming year. I figured I had done pretty good for myself, all things considered, while I was trying to navigate, like managing my business, managing my employees and the horses, and Patrick, and everything else to boot. But I, I was just kind of ready for a little bit of a reset. Like, I'd put it together. It wasn't pretty. Now I wanted to make it pretty and then move forward. And I had the support of all of my clients. They were so generous, so understanding. Um, so everybody right now, as far as all of my horses are concerned, are either turned out somewhere in eastern Pennsylvania or in South Carolina. Oh, they get the winter crazy. off. I'm Getting the winter off, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Out of the frying pan and into the fire. This is but... a full-time job taking care of my mom. I never realized. You know, caregivers, you know, now I get it. But now it's a good I thing understand. I did that because, yeah. you know, I couldn't imagine trying to be the support system for Patrick and his mother that I am while also still continuing to train. So something had to give. And I'm just really blessed to have people in my corner like Tom Coulter and Donnie Brown that are like, you know, hey, we recognize what your needs are. Our horses will be here when you get back. Go do what you need to do. So it's been a real breath of fresh air because I personally, and that's the thing for a lot of people in this industry, there's sort of this concern, not unrealistically, that if you 
step out, it'll be hard to get back in. Um, and that was a fear for me. I obviously didn't want my business to go elsewhere and I was going to try to tie on and keep up the juggling act if I had to. But like I said, I, those, those two gentlemen, especially also Brian Shida, Scott Grow, like all such top notch people. I, I could not be here doing what I need to be doing without wonderful people like them supporting me. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm really grateful. It's as a trainer, I I've seen enough in the business, just doing other work, working for other trainers to know that business is hard as a trainer. It's really demanding. You have to meet the expectations of your owners. Um, your employees keep the business running, you know, pay the feed man, et cetera. And it gets overwhelming for these men and women that are, you know, hanging their shingle. You just kind of hope from time to time that everybody else gets a little bit of a breather because it's so important, especially now in this economy where we're not only dealing with literal higher prices, it costs more to keep this operation going, but in the political climate as well. You know, you see these horsemen and women under stress and the good ones are shutting down and are refocusing their careers in other directions. And it's it's getting to be a concern for me that, you know, you, you see all these good horsemen and women saying sayonara, I would rather go be the postal worker or drive a FedEx truck or, you know, do something different within the industry that takes a lot of stress off of their plate. So for me, it's been really excellent to have this time as much as it can feel a little bit overwhelming and not particularly for myself. This is enough for me to realize that I'm still doing what I want to be doing. And this year at Presque Isle is going to be another banger for me. Yeah. She, she just, she killed it this year. No question. Uh, Patrick. So I would love to know what is, the way you proposed and how did you know you were, you were ready to pop that question? Oh, we actually, we actually talked about it. It wasn't like, I'm not, I'm a lot older, so I'm not into the big fanfare and like, you know, we got to have a flash mob and there's got to be 14,000 people taking pictures. Wait, was there, was a flash mob on the table? No. Did I get to... Did I miss something? You did. You got a nice ring, so zip it. Uh, But no, we like, we talked about it. We talked about it for a long time. And listen, I mean, they, you know, we had rough spots like everybody else. Like, it's just, unfortunately, you know, relationships aren't always easy. Mm -hmm. And when you have the stress level that we all have in our game, it, it, it becomes tough sometimes. And listen, man, people were people. And we just, we talked about it. I'm like, Let's just get this done, you know? And she's like, okay, but I get to pick it out. I'm like, all right, fair enough. Like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go buy the wrong thing. You know, I mean, you're spending a little bit of money here. You know, it's not like, hey, I'm spending 200 bucks on a nice dinner tonight. Like, you know, you're spending thousands. And so she designed what she wanted. She got it. And she's like, she just came to me one day. She's like, I want my ring. I like, like it. Okay. <laughs> she goes, I want my ring. I want to wear my ring. That's it. I want to do it. So. I said, well, you know what? I said, I forget. What did I do? I did something like I tried to not let her know that it was finally ready. Oh, he's got a terrible poker face. Oh, I do. I can't lie. I can't lie to save my life, guys. And I just never could lie for anything. And I got her down to the jewelry store. It was ready. And she's like, 
She's like, what are you going to ask me? I go, you want to marry me? She's like, yeah, okay, cool. Good. That was it. That's all we did. We went to dinner. We went to dinner and had fun. So it was very low. We're very low key kind of people about things like that. Yeah. I don't, like, I have a lot of younger friends and cast. I mean, I've, I did it before. I was married for a long, long time. And it, it, it just, I, I'm to the point of the age where I don't, I don't need all the pomp and circumstance anymore. I just want to know that I have somebody that loves the same thing that I do. And that's what was so important with Cass because we both love this game. Like we, we, we crave this game. You know, it's so wonderful because we'll lay in bed in, in the middle of the afternoon. I'm like, Hey, put on fan, but put on TVG. And we'll sit there and we'll watch races and we'll, you know, we'll watch the post parade and whatever, who every horse is by and the dam. And we might know this person or that person. And we know a lot of people, but you know, it's so refreshing to have the passion in your spouse or your significant other that, you know, that, that you didn't with somebody else. And it's just, I think it makes life a lot easier. And a lot of people, don't understand how demanding this game is and how hard it is on people. And if you're not a horseman and your significant other calls you and says, Hey babe, this horse is colicking. I got to stay and wait for the vet. Some people don't understand that. You know, they don't get it. You know, I, I used to run a big farm in Pennsylvania for a couple of years and you know, it was three 30 in the morning. We're up there. And we got a dystocia and we got to call the vet and we're trying to save the mare. We're trying to save the baby. And, you know, a lot of spouses wouldn't understand you got to leave in the middle of the night to go try and save a horse's life. Like, you know, they just don't get it. But like Cass and I, we understand what it's about. and We have that passion. And I think that's what makes it so great for us to gather collectively. And, and we feed off of each other in the good way because, you know, whether it's energy or clients, you know, I've sent her clients of mine before that I buy a lot of bloodstock for. And that's how she ended up with Donnie Brown. And she's just done incredibly well with him. I was friends with Erin McClellan, you know, for years. You know, we've been, her and I have been friends. And she's, you know, I'm like, Erin, if you ever need anything, please call Cass. You know, she'll, she'll help you out. Well, guess what? She sent, she said, well, Tom Coulter has a, has a, a, a synthetic horse that I think would be, and Cass started tra- training Maldives model. And boom, she wins the Princess of Silmore Stakes with it. So, you know, that's what it's all about. It's about the networking, but it's also about having each other's back and helping each other out. Yeah. I don't it's, know, I think that's so important. I always say it's a lifestyle. And so if you, like, don't understand the lifestyle of horse racing, it's hard to date someone outside of the business. It's nice to have someone that knows your schedules are never the same. It's not nine to five. That's just not how it works. No, no right. it's weird. I mean, we, we are weird people. I mean, we truly are. I mean, we look at us. We're just, we're glorified gypsies. We just run around and chase them while we go with the money trail, you know? So, I mean, that's what we do. And and sometimes it's exhausting. You know, I, like a lot of my friends, you know, they'll go to Prescott, then they'll go to Tampa. And they'll go back up to Prescott. I'm like, forget that crap. I, I, I don't want to do that anymore. But it's sometimes it's what you have to do to make a living. And, and the fact that, even tr- having to even think about going back to a corporate lifestyle, I say that sometimes. I threaten it sometimes. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't really want to do that. I'm just mad today. I'm not going to put up with it. And then, you know, and and then you, you, 
you go in the other room for 20 minutes and you're fine. It's just how it is. But but I just think when you have a significant other that that just has the same passion. And it is, it is, is it a lifestyle like you said, Donna? Yeah, it is. But it's also a passion. And maybe sometimes it's an affliction or a disease that we have. But, man, it sure is. Fun. I mean, when you win, I mean, like, we, we scream like crazy people for our horses. We do. We cheer for them. And, you know, and, and the one thing that I, that I really love about Cass, and she's like this with me, we always, when they're done racing, it's paramount to us that we find places for them to be successful in their second careers. You know, it's incredibly important to us. Cass says once she just retired, he just won. She's getting ready to start. Tell about Flight to Paradise. He's oh, a cool yeah, horse, Flight man. to Paradise. He was uh, he was my pride and joy. I acquired him at the middle of the meet this year. I, I had trained him previously for some owners, and they had decided, you know, financially, it just wasn't in the cards for them to stay in. So I bought the horse off of them. And uh, he's an older gelding. Let's see, I guess. I guess now he's technically six because we're, we're into the new year. Yeah, sure. Um, but I won with him at the end of the meet. And I said, you know what? I really like this horse and I really need something to enjoy myself with because my only other horse, he's a, he's a 46-year-old cross spotted saddle Tennessee walker. So he's his riding days are over. She's not um, lying about that age either. He's literally 46 years that old. That's crazy. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. I, I'm really good at keeping them alive. Or he's really good at staying alive in spite of me. I haven't figured it out yet. But he yeah. still runs around chasing chasing his paddock buddies. And I, um, I literally wrote him two years ago. But I decided that I wanted to retire him. And Kelly Salt, who gallops my horses for me now, she works with me at Presque Isle in the summer. She's a pretty decorated trainer. She's ridden that Rolex like four or five times. Yeah. She used to take a lot of his retirees. I said, hey, this is what we're going to do. I've got to handle some things. I'm going to send this horse with you, and we're entering him in the RRP next year, this year. <laughs> so look, yeah, so he'll, awesome. he will be competing with her this coming fall at the RRP in Lexington. Yeah. His brother just won the Trustville Park Derby, too. Yeah. Yeah, you'll have to keep us updated with that because we'd love to do a story on him and, you know, keep we'll us do, updated. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a cool guy. I'm, he's really, I'm cool. really excited about it. And I think I was more excited to do this with him as my horse as an avenue. You know, you see so many horses go off to second careers. They're retired to people that have no attachment to the racetrack other than they attended the canter sale and bought something out of it. Um, I knew this horse had talent the day I claimed him from Susan Anderson. What was it, two years ago now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, two years um, ago. I just saw this horse was going to be really special in the long run, and I immediately grew attached to him and said, you know what, this would be good for the game that a trainer would stay in with this horse and finance him to get to the RRP. And he'll be my horse forever anyway, but... I just thought that it would be good for the game to get as many stories like that out there as possible, in addition to all the other successful retiree stories. Patrick, do you find it hard to handicap the races that Cass is in? <laughs> I, you know what? She, she would yell at me. And I, and I have, it's so funny you say that because I have horsemen who are my friend and I know everybody up there, obviously we have, it's a small community. I mean, we're like a little college. We're not, you know, it's like where I went to college. We're not, we weren't real big. Um, 
but they're like, why'd you pick me? I'm like, because I think your horse looks really great in the spot. Oh, you're going to jinx me. Oh, they go, they run off after we leave the paddock because they hear me talking about their horse in the paddock previous. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And then there's other times like, dude, you didn't pick my horse. Do you, do you not like my horse today? I'm like, I just think there's other horses that are better in this spot. Oh, I can't believe we did that. So now we're past. Like, if I like her horse, I'm not allowed to put it on top or sometimes. She's like, don't do that to me. And I have done it. Believe me, I have done it. And it has jinxed me. And it, that's not true. Yes, Your horse has. just didn't win. Maybe it ran out of trainer that day. I don't know. Um, but but no, yeah, a lot of times I'll, I will. If, you know, and the thing about Cass, she's very good at putting her horses where they belong to be competitive. She's not going to run them over their heads. You know, it's just, you know, unless you have a client who says you have to, you know, then that's different. But, you know, and sometimes that does happen to all of these trainers. I don't care. I don't care who they are. Sometimes that does happen. And at the end of the day, you don't really, really, truly want that. I mean, that is a problem. So, but sometimes I do it. Sometimes I don't. It just depends. It depends. And, and, and I'm very fair with everybody when I handicap. If I think your horse is live, then your horse is live. And that's all there is to it. Um, I'm pretty astute at doing that. Knowing, you know, basically whether this horse should be in the spot or not. And there's horses that surprise you. There's no question about it. I mean, you know, you get a 50 to one shot that wins. It happens. It happens to everybody everywhere. doesn't matter, you know, but you know, you're like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet this horse monopoly money, but it is what it is. I mean, I'm sorry, but you know, you just don't know. Sometimes they step up and they feel good and that's it. Just how it is, you know. I love a long shot. Uh, we all do, man. I got a pair of socks that says "Bet the long shot" that I love to wear. And cast me for a birthday present. I love them. So, but yeah, I mean, it's fun. I mean, and I have long shot plays, and I might do it maybe four or five times a year. That's all I really do on my sheet because if I see a horse that I feel that hey, the public is probably going to ignore this horse because it has an excuse, like if you have a bad trip. If you have the fact of the matter, horse coming in from another place that's owned this horse only run on dirt, and I'm very good with pedigrees. And I look at the pedigree, I'm like, man, this is a synthetic horse. We've got to do this. Let's put this horse in. And, and sometimes they run, you know, they do, they're alive. And then the only bad thing is, though, we don't have a tremendous amount of money that goes into the wind pool a lot sometimes, like on a Tuesday or something, an you know, a, a normal day. And my long shots, I think I'm going to get 10 or 12 to 1 on, and I'm getting 3 to 1. Gets frustrating. But what are you going to do? And then the horse runs, and everybody's like, well, that wasn't a long shot. I'm like, well, it was morning line. Yeah, morning line. You know. So. Do you have a moment that you're most proud in your career of? Have you ever picked a good long shot? And then Cass, you two, of what's been your proudest moment probably training? Um, For you, it had to be one mistake. Well, maybe not. Maybe Gucci Gal. That was her first winner ever. Oh, my God. That's a great story. Yeah. I like the name. It was no. actually named after her because I bought her a pair of Gucci sunglasses. We couldn't – a client – I have an older client. He's from Jersey, but he did a lot of stuff near Philadelphia. And Mr. Shammy, Ed Shammy, he's like 94, 95 now, and he still watches all the time. He loves to go racing. And his son, Mike, and I are very good friends, and they just – 
he was starting to get older and the horse really wasn't producing. She had a little bit of a hiccup and Cass is like, they just gave Cass the horse. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, she, she, she's a whole story for another yeah. time. No, I, I wouldn't say it was winning the stake. I wouldn't say it was enduring all the migraines of Gucci gal. In, in, in a way it was. I mean, obviously people would assume, oh, it must've been the day that you won the stake. And, and that was that was very fulfilling for me. Um, I have proud achievement moments every day because I've pretty much made my career up to this point off of dealing with problem fillies. Um, the girls, She's the girls with that you just can't get along with. Um, they. Donnie Brown had a horse in partnership with a bunch of people that. He wanted me to try because she just wasn't having any luck at Penn. Um, they weren't getting along with her in the barn at Penn. And, you know, just being able to develop her, her name is Vaxina, being able to develop her, watching her mature, like really grow into herself physically and mentally and her become successful. You know, she won maiden special weight. Uh, she came back the next year and this past year and won the non two for 25 and then won the PA bred 1X, and this was a horse that was losing for Maiden 7500 at Penn um, before I got her. Like, those those moments to me are what I like to sleep soundly with at night. It's not, you know, the accolades of training, like a stakes-winning horse or how many, like, ribbons or this or that. Like, again, kind of going back to what Patrick said, I'm, I don't need the pomp and circumstance. I'm very much the type of trainer. I'm going to saddle my horse and hide in the shadows until it's over because I don't want to be out there in the middle of God and everybody taking credit for everybody else's hard work because it takes a village. But definitely like throughout my career, every time that I've come into what other people would consider to be a problem horse and turning them into a solid citizen, that's, that's what gets me up out of bed in the morning. I mean, you got to remember too, Cass used to, you know, when she worked at Windsor, she, you know, they galloped the stallions there. Which a lot of stallion farm, like we never did that at Minery ever. But at Windsor, they do. She got to gallop all those great horses, Breeders' Cup winners, and Derby winners, and things like that. So, you know, that that's, I think that's, I never got to do any of that cool stuff. <laughs> that is cool. I'm jealous. You know, I got to beat a mince, but that was about it. You got to get on their backs. Well, you know. It was fun. I mean, you know, I think it's really Drop cool. some names, Cass. Drosselmeyer. <laughs> Oh, some you got. Oh gosh. Um, let's see. There was yeah. There was Drosselmeyer, gemologist, um, Bodie Meister, <sighs> Caleb's posse. Um, Z Dagger was there at the time. Horses like Red Rifle and Abraham, which are probably not the most well known, but they were still very good horses when they were running. Um, God, let's see who else. Super Super Saver was there. Oh yeah. Well. I didn't get on every single one of them every no, day. Like, so, like oh, disordered humor. Dara had her horses. I had my horses. You know, right. like people. Yeah, we we kind of got to pick and choose there. But yeah, I mean, class, class, top to bottom. Um, and then not even just the boys, but the girls. Like we we had a lot of really talented mares over at the Windstar Training Center when we were there. Um, Indian Giving, who's the Dam of Game winner, she was actually, she was probably the thoroughbred that made me fall in love with thoroughbreds. Because like I said, 
Windstar was kind of like my segue from quarter horses into thoroughbreds. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to get myself into as far as racing with thoroughbreds after my uncle passed away, never coming from a thoroughbred background, really. But uh, that mare, probably above everybody else, was what got me hooked on thoroughbreds. Just being around her, she was massive. She was so kind um, and just bred class top and bottom and obviously ended up being a stallion producer. So Yeah, yeah very true. Yeah, That's no so awesome. Well, we're going to put you guys in the hot seat. So this is rapid fire questions. Don't think, just answer. Okay. And we are going to kick it off. Would you rather be, and this question's for both of you, rich or famous? Rich. Rich. (laughs) (laughs) That was quick. What is something that can instantly improve your mood and make you happy? Food. (laughs) Yes, I totally agree. Food, yes. Especially if I'm cooking it. So I, I'd love to do that. So, yeah. I can see why you guys are engaged. I can see the matchup. Yeah. Fruit is very important. He does the cooking. I do yeah. the eating. Match made heaven. <laughs> what is the strangest food combination you guys have ever tried or like? Oh, I don't know. We're pretty, we're pretty straight and narrow when it comes to our food. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, You've always loved artichokes, right? I mean, like to me, it's the greatest. I think it's the greatest food ever. If I if I was like on death row in my last meal, it would be artichokes. For me personally, it's it's uh, Dairy Queen French fries and uh, chocolate brownie blizzards. I know some people are gonna like look at. Oh, that's weird. No, I like that. I have I seen people dip their French fries in ice cream. I think it's very strange. That's the weirdest thing. It was I can so talk good. About. I have gotten weird looks for that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yes. I love crunching up potato chips and putting them on my ice cream. Yeah. It's, you know what? I would try that. Ashley, what try you, that are you so minded on? It's the salty. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> salty and sweet. Regular. Regular potato chips, crunch them up, cast like they're sprinkles, and put them on your ice cream. (laughs) All right. We're going to do something later. All right. Okay, what's next? Next one. What is your go-to karaoke song? Oh. Go on, then, Pat. Definitely, probably, (laughs) probably Small Town John Mellon Camp. That's a good one. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge, I was like the biggest Mellon Camp fan in the world for so, so long. And just really loved his music, especially when I was in college and everything. So I should get to hang out with him one time too. It was pretty cool. So, yep. Yep. What about you, Ben? I mean, if you can drag me up there to do it, probably anything Lady Gaga. Oh, she has a great voice. Like literally she used to do the play stuff, you know, she was always doing plays and everything in school and all that. She's hidden talent. Yeah. yeah. Disney princess right here. Yeah. We're not going too far. Sing to the horses. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> do you guys have more dog energy or cat energy? Dogs. He's dog energy. Yeah. He is dog energy. I, I'm cat energy. I love my <laughs> I love my dogs, my greyhound and my blue healer. And, you know, they're, I mean, they're ours, but we, I've had greyhounds for 30 some years now. We retire, you know, we get them off the track and just absolutely adore them. 
just absolutely adorable. You know, they're my fave. Oh, I got nice. cast loving them now, too. That's my friend. <laughs> we love our dogs, too. And that was our first date, too, by the way, guys. That was our very first date. I had yeah. a Greyhound that I owned with a bunch of guys, and we all went together. Yeah. And you to watch it race? Mm-hmm. He, oh, that's He picked awesome. me up, and we took a, what, hour and a mm. half drive to Tri-State, and... <coughs> Yeah, we gotta plug his phone in. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Our first date, he put me in his car. We drove an hour and a half from Lexington to Tri State and Wheeling and uh, watched the dog run, had a killer seafood buffet. And yeah, that's that's how we got started. <laughs> All right. What is your love language? You can answer this better than me. Oh gosh. Um well, I think that Patrick's is touch, and mine is food, or <laughs> words of affirmation. She's very intellectual. Yeah. Yeah. Incredibly intellectual. What's your biggest red flags? <laughs> oh, God. So now, where do you come up with these questions? Oh, this is the hot seat. This is the hot seat, okay. Yeah, quickly, what's your biggest... Horse girls, red flag, immediately. No, no, that's that true. is true. I know you guys have seen that on Instagram and everything. And yep. Yeah, and TikTok and all that. Um, well, no, I'm with the horse girls, so what are you going to do? Um, yeah, horse girls. I don't know. Yep. I think my biggest red flag is like somebody goes out and parties all the time. Like, I mm -hmm. don't like that. Like, I'm kind of a guy that, you know... And not that I'm a private person or a recluse or anything like that. I just, I'd rather be in my house. I'd rather have my partner be at my house with me or our house with us together, cooking, having some good vino rosso, you know, some good wine and just hanging out, bringing our friends over, cooking and entertaining. I love to entertain. I, I really mm -hmm. do. I love when my friends come over. I love to cook for them. Yeah. Well, we'll come over and you can cook for us. Absolutely. It's not a problem. Anytime. You tell me what you want. I mean, I turned my friends in Lexington on to things that they didn't even, they had no idea what it was. Wow. I love Italian. You can't even pronounce it, but they, they ate it. My red flag is someone that doesn't have a sense of humor or mm. not throwing anybody here under the bus at all, but um, men who think they're funny and they're not funny. <laughs> we, we know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. Somebody with yeah. a very strong jawline in a Netflix special, so to speak. Matt Rife. Anybody? Anybody on that one? I have no idea what she's even talking about. Uh, Don Allen went and saw him in person. I oh. did before the whole controversy of him all. And he was like, okay, in person, it wasn't bad. He was at a casino here. At he, Rivers. He's a crowd worker, okay. and that's excellent. Like, you know, you pick somebody out, you do your crowd work, that's great. But when left to his own devices and for a special nonetheless to just mm. dredge out the same tired like we've heard these jokes since we were in middle school like mm. let's come up with some original content yeah if you have no sense of humor or a bad sense of humor be gone bye <laughs> amen all right last hot seat question what is your favorite way to treat yourself mm. sleeping in <laughs> because i never get to do it sleeping in i would like yeah, that's nice. I don't know. Probably something to do. Buy shoes. Buy shoes Buy and clothes. Shoes. Yeah. I, I'm like, man, I'm bad. Oh, I'm I feel you. 
Like Donnell, like I mean, my whole outfit for Masters this year, it was literally a month of planning what I was gonna wear. Yep. I know I, it sounds I, so goofy, but I mean <laughs> like guys, like I mean, I find out, okay, you know, you find out who you're gonna be doing the show with. All right, and then you move on to the next thing. Okay, what am I gonna wear? Should I call them and let them know what I'm wearing? I mean, and it's we'll just like coordinate, okay. yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, and it's it's so ridiculous, and it sounds so crazy, but when we started cleaning out this house, there was a lot of my old suits here, okay? Mm-hmm. And guys, I'm not joking, like, it, it, it hurt me a little bit to send them the goodwill. But oh, I yeah, I won't. Somebody was really happy, let me put it that way. They were seven days brown. Though. No, they weren't. They were seven. They might come back in style. I've worn all right. my clothes. She is full of crap. That is not true. And, and if they did, he doesn't even like brown. No, so. I don't. It wasn't just though. But, I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah, I like to do stuff. I like, I'm a good consumer. I'm a really good consumer. You know, you I like that stuff. are a lot of like, I, I love, love to shop. I love cars. Cars are very important to me. We have way too many here. I need to get rid of some, but I mean, especially Corvettes, I love. I mean, it's just my other passion, you know, especially old Corvettes. And Cass thinks I'm goofy, but I'll see an old Corvette and I'll tell her what year it is immediately, what the color is, the actual color that the the factory named the color. And she thinks I'm goofy, but, you know. I mean, it's just my best friend and I, we go to Corvettes at Carlisle all the time. You know, it's the biggest Corvette show in the entire world. It's just, yeah, that's that's kind of how I treat myself. Oh, well, that's great. Well, thank you. guys. You made it through the hot seat. You made it through hot to trot. Thank you guys for being on. We appreciate no you guys you. Uh, you. spending the afternoon with us. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. What a fun couple, Cass and Patrick are. I'm glad we had them on the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you're enjoying it as much as we are. Make sure you're following us on social media and let us know who you want to see in the hot seat, who you want us to have as a guest. You can do that all at penhorseracing.com slash hot to trot or hot to trot is now on TikTok. So follow us at hot to trot podcast on TikTok and we'll see you for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, and thank you to the Standard Bread Breeders of Pennsylvania for sponsoring Hot to Try. We'll see you next time.